Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me once again this week, one of our favorite guests, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, heard weekends on the 90s online here on Sirius XM. Hello, friend. Mike Tully, it is an honor and a pleasure as always to be here. It's almost been a year for me doing this show and you were on the first show that I ever recorded. It was me and I believe it was Matt Eisman, if, exactly if I can right. be so uh, bold. What a lovely guy he was. He's great. And is. I wasn't prepared for him, though. He had a lot of energy out of the gate and I was like, okay, do your show. This is your room. You got to own this. And I was like, hello, Matt. And he's like, all right, here's the thing. And then just talked for like five interrupted minutes, which is great because, you know, I would say probably the biggest challenge I've had with guests is when they uh, don't have a whole lot to say or don't bring a lot of energy. So I would never fault a guest for bringing energy and content. But I was like, uh, I was like a first time surfer. Right. Pulling in and, and right. going right into the big waves. And you had your hands full with me floundering because I'm always trying to interject and cutting people off and I talk a lot. I'm a bit verbose and I have nothing to say. At least Matt had something to say, so that's the difference. You're being modest as always. You have plenty uh, of things to say, particularly about music, which is something we like to talk to you about. I don't know. i got to stop saying we on this show. There's... I'm a one-man band. I'm playing tambourines between my knees. You're the uh, guy down in, uh, what's, what was his name in Venice, the guy that did everything at once? Ah, uh, God, people know I'm talking. Remember the reggae guy with the, uh, he was on roller skates, Mm-mm. and um, he had a guitar, and he was a one-man band, and I'm boring your audience, but he did everything by himself, and it was one of the most uh, talented efforts I've ever seen in my life. He did everything. While it's, roller skating. It's funny how like 95% of street performers are, they're just homeless people who know how to play like a, right. a Bob Marley song. And then there's the other 5% where you're really like, it would be in poor taste to do like America's Top Homeless Performer. <laughs> but the talent, I believe you would yield actual <laughs> talent. That is the greatest idea I've ever heard. I mean, YouTube, it's just well, I there. Guess there's, no, there's, there's nothing, no such thing as taste on YouTube. You're right. They're already kind of doing it anyway when you think about it. Actually, America's Got Talent, if you watched it, had a couple of those uh, buskers last year ago pretty far. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I got it. I, I unfortunately watch it. I have kids. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say. <laughs> so we always talk about music with you. We've done two shows about the uh, one-hit wonders, the great one-hit wonders of popular music and their failed follow-up singles. And one day I hope to complete that trilogy, but today we're going to do something ever so slightly different. Okay. This is the holiday season, and I want to talk about holiday and specifically Christmas songs. Mm -hmm. And this, to me, is very similar to the one-hit wonder thing, where it's these bands that you know and them trying to rejigger their sound to to get a hit, right? And when I was a kid, uh, as in so many other ways, maybe growing up, maybe being a little bit in the entertainment industry, my attitude has evolved quite a bit. I used to consider it the height of crass cheese for an artist to make a Christmas song. But you know who changed my mind about that single-handedly is Mariah Carey. You know what? I'm so glad you said that. Mm -hmm. 
Because um, it's become the most second most popular Christmas song of the season every year. Mariah Carey is essentially irrelevant eleven uh, ten months out of the year, and she's one of the biggest stars in the world every November and December because she can do a tour on the back of this one Christmas hit that she has. Without a doubt. It's the closest thing rock and roll offers to a pension plan. But you're you're assaulting my senses being the sort of purveyor of 90s on 9 over here. Mm-hmm. Mariah Carey had 14 number one songs not. in the 90s. Now, so I'm getting real protective of my 90s thing. Mm-hmm. Calling her irrelevant is assault to the butterfly chanteuse. Okay, well, she... <laughs> I, I know tell you what, what you're saying. I tell you what, though. I, I've come around on her quite a bit because I always... She, she was definitely launched as perhaps the next Whitney Houston. Without a doubt. And I always considered her sort of like a a cheesy second-rate mall version of Whitney. And she was manufactured, ironically, but has one of the biggest talents ever recorded in the history of music. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, the, she, she really, really does. And two things changed my mind about her. Well, one, the, the most concrete one, is that she writes her music, and I know to most people that doesn't make much of a difference, but to me that makes all the difference in the world. I'm a musician, so me too. It's quite a bit easier to be a talented singer, in my opinion, than to be a talented songwriter. It's very hard to write to find someone who's a great songwriter, yeah. very easy to find great singers. Right. So she wrote her stuff. No, I don't think she has a ton of truly memorable songs, although she had a lot of hits. The other thing, frankly, is now I go back and listen to Whitney Houston, and it's such a shame during her too brief prime, some really terrible material was, I mean, really cheesy greatest love of all, that she had more than one. Yeah. No, she had a hit with the Star Spangled fucking banner. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of those greatest versions ever during a time. Yeah. yeah. The timing on that was amazing. Right. Well, I, I mean, was I was... How do I say this without? I mean, going to war is never amazing. Uh, it was a, 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 a the, the timing was right for the song like that. Her to yeah. deliver it in that Super Bowl was incredible. Right. If you aren't moved by that performance, you mm-hmm. should check your heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But the irony she had is that well, not the irony, but but Whitney had '80s production behind her songs, which already put her kind of uh, kind of behind a little bit because you know songs like "I Get So Emotional," "Greatest Love" and all kind of had that big gigantic you know David Foster s production that you know I don't want to say it was. Uh, a little bit cheesy, but it had that the cheese elements. But a lot, a lot of the '80s hits do, and like one of the one hit wonder shows we've gone through, which we all love. Mm-hmm. And I don't love, I don't love music um, in terms of guilty pleasures or ironically, I just love music. Right. So having guilty pleasure means nothing to me. But '80s suffered from lack of good production. Would you say that? I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm just too close to it. I love, like, truly love <laughs> '80s production. You and I have you had do? this conversation before. I. I really do. I don't think it has any legs. Like you know, no, some of it rings a little hollow. I, I agree. Sometimes the the snare drum is simultaneously humongous and paper thin, <laughs> right? Which is so, kind of weird. The Simmons drums effect. You're not like you're right. Whether it's the biggest drum in the world, but it sounds like you're hitting a, a trash can. Phil Collins is one of the great drummers of all time, and right. willingly allowed himself to do 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 and Sasudia, and not just do 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 do, which that was awesome. That was cool. I mean, just invisible touch. That's amazing. Like I could sing his drum parts. It's 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 phenomenal. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So Christmas music. Okay. So to wrap up the. Did Mariah she thing, wrote this. She wrote this song. Correct. She wrote "All I Want for Christmas Is You." But I, I did think, she write I it by th- herself? Now I let's don't know. let's qualify songwriting when you get to superstar artists. Mm-hmm. Lots of times, yeah. i.e., a Britney or someone like that will say, "I will." Um, 
I will write a song with you, or I will record your song if right. you give me 20, 30% of the writing and publishing credit, which, as you know, Tully, and maybe some of your listeners don't, is really where the money is generated for the rest of your life. I know. I signed all of mine away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one and only deal I ever signed. Oh, no. Yeah. Is it worth something? No. But it could have been, is what you're saying. It, had we made any money, I wouldn't have made any money. Gotcha. Yeah. And see, we made some money, and I'm still making money. It's nice to go to your, your mailbox every quarter, and you go, oh, forgot about this, this teacher yeah. salary every quarter. You know, so it's kind mm-hmm. of a, a nice thing. And that's that's where the rub is, and that's where a lot of these artists did in the 90s. Um, they said, sure, I'll record with you, but I want half the publishing, half the writing. Yeah, and, and that's still going on. Oh, it still goes on for sure. And by the way, lots of people whose songs would never get heard beyond their friends and in their in their own uh, car mm-hmm. now have a number one hit, and so it's worth the trade-off. It's worth, you know, 100% of nothing uh, is is obviously not as good as fifty percent of something. So, something something humongous. Yeah, there's a trade off there. Then once you get established as a songwriter, like a like a, like a Dream does, or like a, you know a Timbaland does, then you can start demanding your own your own terms. You know, but that's how people get into the industry. Right, right, right. You gotta you gotta pay to play. Listen, we got a lot of music to get through. And here's the thing about Christmas songs. I totally understand. Like I said, why people do it. There's a lot of money in it. And there's another thing. If it's a big hit, it will be it will be a hit. Every year Every for, for 10 years, 20 years, whoever wrote um, uh, uh, Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad or Do They Know It's Christmas or, you know. I- exactly. Whereas if it doesn't hit, it just goes away. Right. It's like it never, ever, ever happened. So it gets completely forgotten except for on shows like these where we can resurrect um, wannabe Christmas hits of the past. Let's see if our first one's going to play. Does it ring a bell? This rings a, a bell inside the core of my soul. In fact, this is uh, Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys, yes. done by Sugar Ray, yeah. featuring backing vocals by Carney and Wendy Wilson. No kidding. Brian Wilson's daughters. And that's why it sounds so good. More importantly, to my purposes, that's two thirds of Wilson Phillips. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Two thirds of Wednesday Pops. I mean, of congratulations Pops. on your Beach Boys. No, but. which which was which is phenomenal because uh, the Beach Boys were such a huge influence on me, and we recorded that for the K Rock uh, Acoustic Christmas um, free release at Tower Records thing back in the uh, in the nineties. And we just gotten back from Europe, and we had a day to do it. And uh, they were kind enough. Uh, they, the Wilson sisters, were kind enough to come down and really added the harmonies that made that great. And uh, I've become friends with Mike Love and the Beach Boys. Now, I've noticed that, which is amazing. Yes. I did a show with the Beach Boys at the Beacon Theater last uh, summer in New York City. So it's come like full circle. That song's one of my favorite recordings Sugar Ray ever ever did. And every now and then I do hear it on a music. I'll be going through Target or something. And there you go. And uh, I mean that, that was an absolute joy to do. Um, so I can't believe you pulled that out, man. I did a lot Michael of homework. Tully. I did a lot of homework for this episode. That's why it's the best podcast in the business. Here's uh, one or do we song. Call us a podcast. Or we call it it's a show. A, we're on the radio. We're on the radio right now. Unless people listen to the podcast, then it's a podcast. So here's the one everybody's gonna know. I think this is the granddaddy of the crass commercial Christmas cashin. <laughs> Paul McCartney, obviously. I love this. That's what I was going to say. I love how in the chorus, he has that echo on that actually makes the chords fall back on themselves out of time. Right. And it's actually 
falls in that world of like 80s production. Mm-hmm. It's almost a Kraftwerk version of Paul. It's the last thing I expect from Paul McCartney in a Christmas song. It's very weird. And there's like a melancholy thing that I look Super. for from Christmas. Right. Where when it's Christmas night and you st- and, and now, now the kids are asleep and you switch from beer to scotch. Right. And now you're starting to wonder if anything is worth it at all. <laughs> Life if it made sense, <laughs> and that's where this song comes in. And the and fact that it's so happy makes me so incredibly sad. And you don't believe he's having a wonderful Christmas time when he's singing this. He's having a miserable Christmas. <laughs> he's trying so hard to talk himself into this Christmas, and it's clearly not working. And he doesn't believe it. And that's and- why he has no lyrics. He's just. It's just a Casio Christmas. Do you think it's a Casio Christmas? Well said, Tully. Do you think he's going okay? I gotta, I gotta fight Lennon's Christmas song, right? I think that. Oh, I've thought about this. I think that Paul McCartney, yes, the Lennon thing, but even more to the point, looks himself in the mirror and goes, "I'm not John Lennon." No, well, I think they both did that. I think they both did that because because the, they needed each other. The Let's famous quote from John Lennon that I, I I love is, you know, yeah, sure, I'm paraphrasing wildly, but yeah, I've done this and I've done that, but they're never going to be singing along to, you know, pick the song "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" in a bar in Spain. Yeah, N- yeah. knowing that Paul Paul McCartney was cheesy and he used to call it his Paul, Paul's grandma songs. Sure, but that's his phrase, not mine. But there was this universality to what he did that Lennon knew he did not have. And if he could have, I think if they both could have borrowed about 15% of what the other guy had in spades, they individually would have been absolutely unstoppable. I just think that McCartney would just look at himself and go, there's so many Christmas standard songs. I'm Paul motherfucking McCartney. I better get off my you know, how, ass. How on earth do I not have the granddaddy of them all? And right. so he just willed himself to... It's the same way I feel about that I love you song. Is like oh. I think he, he probably that was the working title of about 80 songs before that. But one. then he saved it by naming it just another silly love song. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was in on the irony of that. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't hate that song. No, I, I've got weird dude, taste. Well, I... Some would, McCart- argue, some would argue bad. Paul, well, I have the worst taste in the world, meaning the best taste. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney was the melody in the Beatles. And I think it's never been exemplified more than the song A Day in the Life. Mm-hmm. You know, the day in life is all this, you know, it's all John Lennon and the, the car crash and all that. Then, and it goes to Paul McCartney. Ding, ding, ding. Woke up, got out of bed. You know, and that's the perfect juxtaposition of Lennon's writing and McCartney's writing. And in two different songs, you can hear it right there. Yeah. I took class in the Beatles at USC. Oh, you're a college boy. Yeah, I went to USC. I mean, if you call, yeah, yeah, it's college. Yeah, it's still college, right? It's still university. Wait, did you say UFC? USC, University of Southern California. Oh, you, of course that's college, is uh, it I, not? Listen, I couldn't get into USC now with the grades I had back in the 80s. Believe me, it's an incredible institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had a class on the Beatles. And to justify having a class on the Beatles, they made the curriculum so hard. They're like, okay, when Paul was going in to tune uh, for, you know, I mean, it wasn't just, it, it, the, it was such a, it was one of my, toughest classes I took at USC. I got a C- minus on the Beatles, and I went, went into music, put it that way. So they had to make it sort of tough to sort of justify the curriculum. So I learned all about Paul and John and the writing and the melody and all that. So uh, that song, Day in the Life, perfectly exemplifies Paul and John's writing. Agreed. Here is a uh, musician that people definitely would not, they would not be the first person who would come to mind when you would imagine a well-known musician doing a Christmas song. <laughs> you familiar with this one? Of course. Sleigh bells in the snow. 
So let's contemplate Iggy Pop's motivations when he does this. What do you think is going through Iggy Pop's mind when he records this? I think he's thinking, what am I doing? Okay, so do you know the circumstances under which that was? I should probably know the more background then. Because I could imagine that being a lot of... Now, there's some artists that... I I looked into a lot of different artists, and there were people... For example, Billy Idol made a Christmas album Mm -hmm. that I don't really think his heart was in. I could be totally wrong. Maybe Billy Idol loves Christmas. Well, can I I, kind of qualify again about the Christmas thing? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of record companies strongly suggested you made a Christmas record in the fourth quarter. As unbelievable as it is now, in the 80s and 90s, these records sold. If, Even if you, Iggy Pop, his label would have been like, you know, Iggy. I don't the, think you know what Iggy, the world really needs from you. Not, not probably Iggy, but like anybody on uh, ninety-eight degrees, anybody in the teen space, oh, sure. Blink Two was offered a lot of money. Sugar Ray was offered a lot of money to make a show. Hey, here's a million bucks. We make a Christmas record. Yeah, I think we've got a week. Let's do it. So that is <laughs> that was the motivation by a lot of people doing them. And would, they, would you really have been offered those sorts of sums? Of oh, money? without a doubt, in the eighties, nineties, without a doubt. Uh-huh. And and I believe we were. We didn't do it. Because, you know, we were stupid and we thought the train would keep would go on forever, as most bands do. And this was 99 when we were top of the world, cover Rolling Stone, two number ones, but it was counting. Um, so, I mean, I, there's, a lot of mo- there's a lot of financial motivation behind some of the Christmas songs we hear today. And some of the mysteries are, why did they do this? Now, what year did Billy Idol make a Christmas record? Uh, it was not that long ago. I want to say it was about 10 years ago. Then he loves Christmas. Because the, the labels are already done. But when, when did Iggy Pop do that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that. It sounds like I'm, to I'm me, maxed out on computer screens. I can't Google anything. Oh, yeah, that's okay. It almost sounds like he's joking there. Yeah. Well, and he's got a really good baritone voice, Iggy Pop. The funny thing is I would believe you if you told me that he was drunk and doesn't remember doing it. I would believe you if you told me that... He thought it was hilarious that musicians tried to cash in, so he decided to make a terrible one. I would also believe me if believe you if he said, "No, Iggy Pop just fucking loves Christmas," right. <laughs> and he wanted to do that. <laughs> and I think we what he ended up accomplishing, regardless of what his intention was, was actually a, one of the hardest things. It's as hard as it is to make a good Christmas song. Mm-hmm. It's it's even harder to make a good cool Christmas song. Yes, we're gonna hear a grand total of about two to three of those on this list, and I would argue that that is one of them. There's there's a uh, a band I'm in called the Band of Merrymakers. Okay. okay, now I don't know if you did the research about that, but we do Christmas songs, and a lot of them are original Christmas songs written by um, Sam Hollander, who um, co-wrote uh, "Hand Clap" with Fitz and the Tantrums. He's written with a bunch of great bands, and they wrote really great originals. And we run today's show past couple of years uh, during the holiday season. We did the Christmas uh, Rockefeller lighting, and Kevin Griffin from Bevan Ezra's in the band, uh, and Tyler Glenn from Neon Trees in the band, and he he's just you know international rock star and you know we're i'm like how are we gonna get tyler to do all these shows you know we don't have the dough it's kind of low budget he goes tyler just loves christmas he just wants to do it so people do this just purely for the motivation of loving christmas so if you are into christmas records or want to check out band of merrymakers and it's not just because i'm part of it i'm telling you there's some great original christmas music they took the time to write originals and it's coming from the heart from people who just and love Christmas. It's on Sony Music, so they they really put their efforts behind it, and it's it's written. Uh, you know, Natasha Bedingfield's on it. Nick Hexum from Three Eleven, uh, Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums. A lot of incredible musicians and uh, songwriters.
Who can say what was in the heart of this next artist when he made not only a Christmas song? Well, wait, before you do that, you yes. didn't finish the Iggy Pop background. Was there no background for that? Oh, I, I told you. I, I got to look it up on my phone. Keep well, talking. Oh, okay. Do you so want to plug some stuff? Well, no, I want to say, uh, uh, do you know Iggy Pop's real name? I do not. James Osterberg, for those listening out there. But Iggy Pop's effort like that makes me feel like he just got in the studio. He goes, guys, I've got five minutes. Okay, if I'm out of tune, I don't care. Pro Tool it. This is my effort. And it also sounds about three octaves lower than he's capable of of going. Without a doubt. And you're talking about a man who sings with a low baritone. Yes. Yeah, it's low for a guy who sings low. To begin with. It was on a Yuletide compilation called Psych Out Christmas. It appears, based on my very quick Google, to have been recorded in 2009. Was there a charity component behind it? I don't know about that, but okay, it's Psych Out Christmas. I think it was a bunch of cool young bands being like, you know, to be, you know, to be stupid if we made a if we made a Christmas album, and then to like kind of um, bless the thing. They go, well, let's get somebody with like some old school credibility. He's like, sure, fucking. But do you think he pops proud of that? <sighs> yes. I th- in a in a way that he thinks it's funny and cool that he did it. Okay, so what I'm missing here, because my listening to songs again, I don't listen to music ironically. I never think there's some sort of weird, um, ironic take on why I'm doing this. I just like, okay, I'm listening to you doing a Christmas song, and I'm like, I guess there is sort of an inside tongue-in-cheek joke going in there with the psycho Christmas. I'm not sure the nature of the band behind this. Cleopatra Records mean anything to you? Cleopatra Records is, uh, yeah, it's a label that it has a lot of old punk rock bands, and okay. they have a lot of the old catalogs from the 80s and uh, 90s punk rock groups, and Cleopatra's been around forever. They recorded Faster Pussycat uh, recently. They released a record by them. I think um, uh, maybe the Bullet Boys did a record for Cleopatra. They were kind of being the frontiers of the uh, mid-90s for a little bit, frontiers being the label now from Italy that does all classic hair metal from the 80s. Uh, other acts on this compilation, Psych Out Christmas, Sleepy Sun, Psychic Ills, Dead Meadow, Fuzz Tones, Quintron, and Miss Pussycat. They're a real goth sort of indie, yeah. haunted garage, L.A., you know, cool guy label. Okay, I know it can be hard to wrap your head around the idea of music being made, you know, tongue-in-cheek, ironically. But no, I me, understand it. It's during, just how I listen to it. During the 90s, there was the How I Was... Uh, I Wish I Was a Carpenter compilation? Yeah. Or if I Was a Carpenter mm-hmm. compilation, I think that towed the line. I think some artists are there more sincerely than other ones. Also, during the 90s, there was a uh, an album of popular acts covering songs from cartoons from, like, the 60s. But there's a remember, gen- Frente there's a, did a song I, by I Pebbles. I remember that very well. I think we even got asked to do that, but I don't think we did. Uh, but, but there's a but there's a general love there with the Carpenters, and I think I think mm-hmm. Urge Overkill did or something. I think Thurston Moore did something on that record. And to on me, the Carpenters, yeah, and, and the red and red the band Red Cross. I think believe, sure. And and these are all bands that like. There, it's ironic, yeah. But to, there's a pure love there too for the songwriting. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do. But you're writing his tongue in cheek. It's like right down Broadway and splitting the middle of uh, irony but love. Okay, so what we can now parse the intentions of this artist who, as I was saying, has not only made a Christmas song but an entire Christmas album. Maybe you'll be familiar with this. That's Bob Dylan. It is. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. What year was this, Holly? 
I think he did these somewhat recently, last 10 years. This wasn't 68, 69. <laughs> I don't believe so. I think this, this is after he went electric for sure. <laughs> this wasn't right before Newport. No. I think this is just before or in the middle of when he was singing standards, when he pivoted from being a guy who sang as a necessity to prop up his lyrics and his music and became just a vocalist. Do you love this? No, this is awful. This is... If if Paul McCartney is like being at home and you know uh, contemplating the the meaninglessness of your middle class existence on Christmas night, that is a um, an alcoholic outside of a dive bar walking home on Christmas night. But without the charm of Tom Waits, you know, it's it's it is Waitsy without without the charm and without the, being and good the, in the Waitsy way. But my 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 point is to you, like I, I I'm a Bob Dylan fan, and okay. I'm I'm a, I'm a Fan of the look, look at I'm not a diehard Bob Dylan fan. I appreciate the legacy. I appreciate what he did for music. You're entitled to your opinion. No, yeah, but I, I'm not going to sit there and put on Dylan records when I come. I'm not really familiar with the catalog. My my question to you is, how do people around him go? Let's put this out. Well, I think you turn that question on its head and make it who around him tells him not to. Someone who cares about him. Do you think that that is? Just a manager just, is not going to make a dime off this. A dime. Mm-hmm. Okay, we just go, hey, Bob, it's a great look. Maybe we give it away free on the internet. Maybe, maybe, maybe we don't do that. Um, I, I don't know. How do you tell these people? I, I, I've heard some reviews of Bob Dylan's concerts lately, and they're like, it, it, I, I couldn't tell what song he was playing. I've been hearing that for years. I also heard somebody saying that he came out and he was facing, like, let's just say, hard stage right mm-hmm. playing keyboard. And they were like, oh, okay, I guess he'll do that for half the show. In a show. second, he'll turn and around. And then he'll flip around and instead. <laughs> he stayed there the entire <laughs> I don't, and it's it can't be a cash grab. We're not going to blame a cash grab on, on, on that. No. Is it the need to keep working? Look, if, if That's got to be part of it. That's if someone it. needs to stay alive and vibrant and makes you happy. <laughs> I will die if I don't make this Christmas album. <laughs> but- but I don't, I just, I'm just curious, Tully, what, it, what is the, you know, I wish I could hear, I wish I could take phone calls. Okay, well, can I tell you, people can tweet at us. You are, um, you know, this will be up within a week. You're at Mark underscore McGrath, and I am at Tully. I, it seems to me, and I know that this is not true, but it seems to me that um, Bob Dylan, Lou Reed, maybe Iggy Pop, I'm not all that familiar with him. Something about them that I would consider is like a sort of low-level autism it m- makes them feel like they need to always be enigmatic. There's always they they that you can they're hidden in plain sight. You can right. ask them a question and they'll give you an answer, but you will never unravel the mystery of That's this guy. Right. And uh, this is cynical. I know this isn't true, but it seems to me almost as if Bob Dylan is going. You know what? No one would ever think Bob Dylan would do. Yeah, no, you're right. And it, and so I'm not just going to blast out a song. I'm doing a whole fucking album of this. And if anybody asks, I just go, yeah, man, Christmas. That's know, right. Well, hey, the kids, I love Christmas. You know, my kids love Christmas. <laughs> you know? But you know what? You're right. And that's because they've been so protected from criticism their mm-hmm. whole life. Mm-hmm. It's almost, you're right. Is it a game? Like, how far can I take this? I know that's not it, but it's the only reasonable explanation. But you know what? If Radiohead releases a record right now, I don't have to re- read the review on Rolling Stone. I already know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the enemy, I already know the review. They've just been so insulated from criticism. REM was another band like that. Didn't matter what record. They just I could tell you the review right now. 
You know, so it's like you're so insulated from criticism. You're like, well, how far can I push this thing? Maybe I believe my own thing. Maybe he does think that sounds great. Here's uh, the exact opposite of a hot take, since I'm talking about two bands that weren't even all that relevant in the 80s. Um, I feel like R.E.M. were the American Smiths and vice versa. Well said. And I feel like Morrissey and the Smiths are still so deeply beloved, and I can't imagine that REM are acquiring too many new fans these days and I can't even imagine that a ton of people who loved them in their youth still spin them like they used to. I feel like the the myth of Michael Stipe has been diminished over the years in a way that Morrissey's has not. I can't disagree with you on that. Is that because of breaking up and not playing or is that just because the music uh the legend even though it's still living in front of you it just has had better legs than rem you know there are there are gigantic rem fans out there there are there are a ton of them and in fact i just saw michael stipe mike mills being interviewed for something recently i'm like well i haven't seen him in the while well i bet you they got back together it'd be a big gigantic you know hole to do yeah and you're kind of saying just the opposite of that i'm just saying that it would be a big deal because scarcity increases demand yeah and that's sure. pretty much what you're sure. talking about i feel like Michael Stipe's singing and melodies are were fine and were very good, obviously, but have not aged as well as Morrissey's. And but more than anything, I feel like the Michael Stipe character yes. has aged a lot more poorly than the Morrissey character. It's just become more dated than the Morrissey thing has. Which is so interesting because we can see Morrissey in front of us getting bigger and older and still performing uh-huh. and still saying like you know very controversial things. Yep. And we're I watching. Love, I love that old well, Morrissey. But, 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 old Cantankerous Morrissey is amazing. It's, yeah. it's like young Cantankerous Morrissey, just about 30 pounds heavier. Yes. Uh, and so that's interesting. And so, like, you think when Michael Stipe would go away, there would be more demand for the Michael Stipe charisma of it all, the maybe dynamic of him. Maybe he's and I agree with you. I agree with you. It, ha- it hasn't really. But Michael Stipe has never been a traditional rock star in the sense. You know, we've we never really missed him. We never. Well, when he was here, we never really celebrated as a rock. He was always an anti rock star. Wouldn't you think? Do you he agree? He just became so uh, unnecessarily like difficult and astringent and like uh, contrary for the sake of being contrary and effective. Like the way I talked. Um, I don't believe that. Um, sometimes my oh, T-shirts. Oh, I used to always I... do uh, my impression of, of Michael Stipe. I mean, you know, we're making make a new album because you know we just feel very strongly about the art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Taking off T-shirts at award shows, like you know, no, no guns and violence and women. Yeah, it's that one monotone thing, and yep. and also I think he, he started believing everything was precious in his life. Yeah, that gets a little dangerous too. Yep. Morphe's got a, a Morphe. Morrissey's got a sense of humor. Weirdly enough, he has acquired. Yeah. Oh, one. he's got a great. Like that English wit was was amazing. Yeah. Though I will say, REM and Jane's Addiction were the two bands that brought us into alternative as we know it in the '90s. Two bands that were considered, because I'm old to know, college bands when they started. Mm-hmm. That ushered in the K rocks, yep. the uh, the grunge, the, the after that, and all of that. And the alternative explosion was delivered by Jane's Addiction and REM. All due respect, I'm, I'm you know to 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 fall short in comparison to Morrissey and the Smiths is not. Um... Is not listen to it. Yeah, listen to I me. Mean, both right. both good competition. Uh, Hall of Famers for sure. Uh, the question again: What was this band's motivation? Was this band <laughs> joking when they made a Christmas album, or do they just really like Christmas? This, as you well know, is Bad Religion, and uh, the album is called Christmas Songs. Which is what from the, Bad Religion. 
There's a little irony right there. Okay, what the f- what 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 were they? I don't think that's a joke. You think that they like Christmas? I I I'm not, I don't. I think once a band has such legendary status as Bad Religion, it's almost expected to have some sort of holiday output or offering. I don't know. They were never the fun punk that punk band that was Blink. Blink One Eighty Two could make a Christmas album, and that was sort of on brand. This was a weird move. Yeah, no, but I, I, I hear like, what you're saying. When I, they play shows around Christmas, do their fans go, well, it's that time of year, here we go, let's do it. I will say this, they were one of the original bands on the K-Rock Acoustic Christmas deals, mm-hmm. and back then, when they first started in the early 90s, mm-hmm. the bands would play a Christmas song. Okay. Now, I'm not sure the song Bad Religion played, but I know the song they played end up getting some spins on K-Rock during the following season, mm-hmm. so maybe that was the impetus, maybe that was the inspiration, but yeah, I think that was done earnestly. And That's, I know, I know, uh, Greg Hetson in a little bit seems to be very jovial, jovial, fun character. Yep, seems like a guy who uh, had fun in Christmas. Is always into HR puff and stuff and and fun Hollywood memorabilia and history. I think uh, I, I think he saw the the fun in making a record. And is that so wrong? This song, on the other hand, is actually not bad. Great guitar, guys. Guys, enjoy. I love that when a band, that's one of my favorite things actually about, and we'll touch on this a couple more times as we go through these songs, as many as we're able to get through. When a band, they go, okay, we have to look at the holiday songs whose shtick ties in some way with our, with our shtick. shtick. Yes. And yes. when it when it doesn't work, it's hilarious. Right. And when it does work like that, you're like, oh my that's God, beautiful. that's kind of all, always been a bad religion song. That sounds like any song you would have heard off any bad religion record, except it's a Christmas song. Except it's, yeah, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Which is a beautiful, and I, you know, they had the, harm, the harmony uh, guitar solos in there. It's beautiful. When you, you know when a band makes it their own, put a little effort into it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm buying your Christmas spirit. Okay, I think that's going to be my sort of uh, caveat for 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 whether it's done tongue in cheek or not. Okay. I don't think Iggy Pop went in there and said, "I'm owning this. I love this." You know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking Bad Religion goes. Let's let's think about it. Definitely, let's, let's put our stamp on it. Yep, and let's make it the best we can. They definitely did the work. I mentioned that not too many Christmas songs are both good and cool. This might be one of them. A lot of people do Little Drummer Boy. You know, I knew this song without knowing who it was. Yeah. So to honor him, when we come. I didn't realize how hard she hit that. Right. <laughs> so that's Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And is that on I Love Rock and Roll? At least it was reissued as a, maybe a bonus track, but that's the era it's from. It, it sound, it's not a greatest hits, is it? I have it as from I Love Rock and Roll Remastered, which again leads me to believe that that was put out as a holiday single during that during era. that album cycle. Well, you can hear the drum the drum sound on that sounds just like we were talking about earlier. That really thin, like uh, mm-hmm. um, I love the way she rolled her R's. I love the attitude, you know. And I think that's another an excellent try at, at a uh, a song. And her going parappa pum pum is rad to me. It is. You know, it just works on a lot of, a lot of, and she's got so much attitude. She could sing anything. There, uh, like I said, Little Drummer Boy is a song that a lot of people have taken a crack at and come up with wildly different versions of. You'll easily guess one of the artists credited on this. You would never in a million years guess the other one because I'm not sure they actually physically appear on it. But check this out. Find 
Lucas, Lauren Hill. Yeah. God, she was, and I'm going to say was, she was so talented. What happened? Because I'm, I'm actually more of a... Um, By the way, a, someone trying again to put their stamp on a song and not just phoning it into me. As you nice. shake your head? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 uh, I, I like it a lot. Um, I'm a big Wyclef fan. Yeah. And God, it must have just killed him that he, uh, he was so, 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 so talented. And that one really good solo album he made, um, the Carnival. Right, right. Anytime she pops up on a song, it just takes it to a completely different level. And he is so goddamn world class talented. Yes. And yet she probably spent a day in the studio. That on this album that he spent months on, I know. And every fucking time she opens her mouth, it's just like this thing just popped, you know. It's it, well, I mean, it's just effortless talent. She was, you know, a beautiful girl in the world, and I don't know. I just, you know, it's uh, what happened? She went crazy. Yeah, I guess I she married one of the Marley guys. She did. Something happened there. She saved him and from a car fire. Then he ended up leaving her, I think. And then she got in, she fell in with like a, a shaman kind of guy. Which happens. was apparently the Brian Wilson-ish kind of thing, uh, making decisions for her kind of thing. And then thus, and now she's unreliable, misses shows. and well, Does she, she still have her talent? Can she still sing? I think she can still sing. I think the writing got weird because she did the only thing that she did that was anything close to a proper follow up to the miseducation was an MTV Unplugged album, right? Where she was, I think, just kind of playing songs with an acoustic guitar. And I never bothered listening to it, but I remember hearing that more than one of the songs were the same song, right? Exactly, with just like different words. And exactly. Stuff. So she got very, very, very scattered very quickly. That song came off of a compilation called and so many of these christmas things are such great time capsules called a rosy christmas you mean the rosy christmas we did the rosy are you on it are you rosie o'donnell yeah well she did on this one she did two okay there was two and i've got a gold record from him so we did silver bells Mm -hmm. off i think it was the rosy christmas two i don't know if it was one and this was one when we did it in two seconds, and I don't think we uh, we captured the spirit of Silver Bells. Hopefully, you don't have that. No, I do not have that. So I, Rosie is on a lot of these tracks, I think. Maybe, she loves music. Maybe I, she just popped in and went like, uh, uh, a couple times yeah. on the Lauren Hill one, but I think she's more prominently featured on this track. It took me a second to figure out who was... Cher? That's Rosie. That's Rosie. That's Sharon Rosie. It's so funny because you go, oh, I guess that's just Cher. And then when Cher comes in, you're like, oh, my God, that was a tiny little girl singing. There was a little Rosie. And here's, it was this, yeah. This is uh, Cher's belief period when she was on top of the world. Yeah, when apparently that, that one single... Uh, doubled as her entire sound and you could just get her to come in and you could record anything and be like oh I'm just gonna make my voice do that funny warbly thing just, it worked and it was totally understood that of course I'm Cher and it's uh, it's 19 you know it's 2002 so that's just what we're gonna do do you uh, do you have a favorite Christmas um, song of all time that isn't a traditional one one done by a band do you know, do, I mean, um, okay, not really, but there is one song that I will listen to year round, and it's called um, "Thanks for Christmas," and it's really recorded by XTC. 
but they build themselves as something else. Like they build themselves as some sort of Christmas sounding band. Remember the Dukes of Stratosphere? That wasn't them. It wasn't Dukes of Stratosphere. No, they they just made up a name for this one song. How have I never heard that? That's escaped my entire... They're one of those weird bands, and there's a couple of these in my life where... I have tried and tried to. I love Skylarking. The album Skylarking oh, is, me a, too. is a masterpiece, and I like a couple songs here and there. But for the most part, I've tried and failed to get into many albums by them. You don't like early XTC? No, like I can't Senses do it. working overtime and don't really making care plans for, for Nigel. Yeah. I like making plans for Nigel, right. but I just like that. No, that's all you really need, you know. And but then they then I somewhere along the way in a bargain bin I found a um, B-sides and outtakes compilation called Rag and Bone Buffet. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird when this happens. I like I like everything on Skylarking, but I like more songs on Rag and Bone Buffet than uh, than any other album they've ever made. Are and the outtakes so, from that era or songs around that era? It's, I, I think it I think it's it's spanned their entire career. Okay, There's I like see that. seven or eight songs I love on this cast-off compilation and one of them is the Christmas song. That's when you know your band's great. You know what I mean? When you have songs of that quality and some cast-off thing. My favorite, just to sort of interject my own thing, Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses, my uh-huh. all-time. My left, all-time I left, favorite. I, I left that off of this just because I felt like people kind of know that. It's very obvious. It's yeah. very, we all, we all get it. But I love, A, I love that it's original. I love the story. It's so 80s and Valley Girl-esque, and it's got one of the best bass riffs of all time through the entire song. It never stops. Love that song. Let's That's say. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. You guys know that one. Of course. Let's see, though, if perhaps this can become your new holiday favorite. <laughs> it's Christmas time. We're going to celebrate with a rhyme. Danny V, are you ready? Danny V, new kids on the block? It's funny, because I feel like, if I'm guessing, the first thing I think is Run Beastie DMC. Boys. Or Run DMC. Funky, funky Christmas, which actually probably... It charted. I know. This charted. This might even got top 15, 10. What could they have done at that time that wouldn't, wouldn't have, have charted? charted. Fart medley, maybe. <laughs> Probably still would have. No, they could have made a fart medley and girls would have cried to it. They could have made a fart medley. By the way, listen to the raps. They're not that awful compared to the era. Jordan K, Jordan Knight. Kick the ballistic Santa Claus. Oh, that was that was ad rock right there. Somebody's gonna start doing an accent in the middle. That'll probably be uh, Donnie D. Their production is the single worst thing that's ever. Maurice Starr had like a cowbell. Let's go. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So what, were they just like, were they fans of uh, Slick Rick? Uh, there's a Slick Rick uh, quality there. Uh, a little bit of Rockwell, too. Remember Rockwell? Uh, Rockwell. I see him like this someone, yeah. He I mean, also wake up late at night. had, a, had yeah. an English accent considering his dad was Barry Gordon, the founder indeed. of Motown, which explains the, the eternal question, what the fuck was Michael Jackson doing <laughs> on Rockwell? <laughs> Doing a favor, probably a birthday present to Rockwell. I'm absolutely, you know what I mean. I think that was probably the favor of all favors. And, and with all due respect to New Kids on the Block, they today are still performing every summer. 
They look great. They look younger than NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and bands to play with them. And some of the nice guys you'll ever meet. Seriously, those guys are super talented. All of them can sing. All of them dance. And if it's not your thing, I get it. But, uh, you know, they're still doing it. And Donnie Wahlberg, man, Blue Bloods. It's my joint right there. I love that show. One of these days I will find a band that you will actually speak negatively of. <laughs> that's pretty Sugar much, Ray. That's pretty much my mission. That doesn't I, count. I speak negatively of Sugar Ray all day. Okay, this was this may have been a Christmas hit. I don't remember. I was tuning things out by this a point. Funky, I was too funky cool. Christmas. Do you know this? I don't know this, but I, I want to get it. the Jackson 5 is no is that a girl or a guy I'm not telling oh horns not getting it okay let me say for starters I like this song I actually think it's a pretty good little Christmas song great and I don't blame you for mistaking it for the Jackson 5, although obviously the production suggests it was made much later. Yeah. And no, it's not um, a girl, and it's not a man. That was Hanson. Hanson! And to me, I, I, I mean, this was the revelation. Hanson, that kid was talented. They were all talented. That song sucked dick, but well, uh, no, 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 umbop is what I'm talking about. Did it, or was it great? No, you know, it's you know terrible. I mean? It's so on the nose. There's but the second you heard it, you liked it. it was... I never, I didn't like it the second I heard it, and every second that has passed <laughs> since, I have still not liked you it. You still but hated it? That kid just sang his ass off on that song we listened to. Very talented. And that song, I look like compared to you. Is that Jackson 5? You're like, no. I can't remember the next person I said, but these were legends. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they said the Jackson 5 was sort of their, you know, their archetype of where they started. Obviously, yeah. all bands, all playing instruments. And um, and I believe that was probably recently, huh? Not that long ago? I am not sure when that was recorded. I think that was back in the day. No, that kid can't still sing like that. Once he hit puberty, he wasn't doing well, that I think anymore, that, Oh, I think the, the drummer then took over some of the other stuff. The drummer was like 11 when they started. But, you know, they still do good business. I read Polestar, that concert, uh, that's the concert Bible tells you... Um, how bands are doing, mm-hmm. and they still drop 1,500, 2,000 people in every city. Good for them. Don't feel bad for Hanson, man. They still release new music and uh, are excellent, excellent musicians. I love the horns in that. And that's, a, by the way, always props for having an original Christmas song. Yeah. Especially if you like it. hmm You know? Uh-huh. Um, maybe that is what this next artist should have attempted. Now, what I was saying earlier, one of my favorite things about holiday theme songs is when the person has to try to make their shtick work with the song mm-hmm. shtick, and I love it when it works, but I really love it when it doesn't. <laughs> Sting? No, much worse. Unless he's your friend, in which case he's true. <laughs> this isn't Carrie Hart, is it? Uh, this is uh, not Carrie Hart. It is Corey Hart. Well done. Corey Hart. Corey Hart. Yeah, yeah. He gets that all the time. 
Corey Hart. I'll give myself props for that. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah. You know what? I gave you a like this. When he went, never surrender. There's a little yeah. bit of that there. Of uh, sunglasses at night and never surrender. Never fan. surrender. I said carry heart because there is a carry heart. Yeah. Married to? It's a pink, of course. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've met Carrie many times. There's the sax. The pink or twice. There's yep. that 80s uh, uh, Beaver Brown Band sax yeah. you got to have. Man, it was lean times. I bet you a, a, lot of, a lot of session sax guys bought houses, lot in, the, of houses. in the 80s. A lot of houses. And in the 90s had to move out of those because that, that <laughs> yes, ended. The sax. the sax went away like DJs and bands in the 90s. Yeah, that ended in a hurry. <laughs> and I was one of those. I, I, I got that. I, I got that reference. <laughs> Let's see. We still got a couple. Boy, how of... good is the throwaway sax when you need a little need a part? We need we need a bridge here. We my need... favorite, my favorite is this: is when the first half of the solo is uh, sax, and then the second half is the ripping guitar and to the... like take the solo section right. to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> Though there are some sax uh, that are great, like the sax in uh, we mentioned Lou Reed earlier, "Walk on the Wild Side." It's one of the greatest. Pieces of music. Oh, the saxophone has had its moments. It does. No yeah. But they're very rare moments, let's be honest. Yeah, I love that one solo Clarence Clemens did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, you mean the career he made us? Out of me. <laughs> um, I got, as usual, we're not going to get through the entire list. I think this is probably going to have to be the last. Can I, can I request something if you have something on there? Uh, yeah. You must have Scott Weiland's Christmas record on there. I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't, because I didn't question, and maybe I'm wrong, his motivation. Oh, that was Ernest. Oh, come on. Absolutely Ernest. He made a video to it, and he loves Christmas, and I had talked to Scott about it. That was absolutely Ernest, and I thought you know, his baritone fit nicely in those songs. And I mean, look, you, I, I think there was a cash element to it, but there wasn't a lot. You're not make, it wasn't going to make a ton of money on that. You know? I thought that it was just sort of... Um, I'll get attention because I'll 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 zig when people would expect me to zag, and then if I did silly ones, well then that's what I'm supposed to do. But look, he's actually taking yeah, it seriously, right? Like maybe you'll discover how great my voice actually is. But if it's not, it's all tongue in cheek and a joke. There could have been that. Plus, you know? plus, yeah, I think he he fancied himself having a little bit of that crooner. Oh, thing he was definitely a crooner. Him. Yeah, the song plush is a croon a crooner song. Grunge is um, an underratedly crooner genre. Without a doubt. Eddie Vedder is a crooner. Uh, Elaine Saley, one of the all-time crooners. Mm -hmm. That's right. Very few in, in rock and roll. And it's interesting, more people don't try it because it is so often successful. Bono, I think it was uh, either, was it Daniel Lanois? Is that what he said? Lanois, Lanois, yeah. yeah. I think it was him. One of the two guys who produced the real classic stuff. Uh, Lily like, White and, and yeah, Daniel Lanois. was like, yeah. he's a fucking crooner. He's a crooner. Yeah. I want to run. Of course. I want to tear down. Like you can fucking no, snap along it, to that. You could, uh, Sinatra, and, and Sinatra said what a song he, uh, what a uh, fan he was Street, well, of Streets Have No Name, mm -hmm. and that's why he ended up on Sinatra's duets. And introduced Sinatra, I think, for the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Makes remember sense. that? I do. I, I, well, I remember the, the duet thing. Remember his eloquent speech he gave about Sinatra when he's the man, he's the chairman of the board. Only have Bono can Yeah, Bono. He's pretty good at being a windbag. <laughs> we have to go, so I'm just going to play. Do you like anybody? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I know. It sounds that way, huh? I love No, 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 but you're, you're, I, I, you have a general love for everybody. So, so here's a, this is a, you're rocking with Doc in this Christmas. <laughs> Thanks as always, Mark McGrath. Oh, is it over already? I know, I know. God, I have so much fun with you, Tully. Thank you, bro. 
You are the singer of Sugar Ray. Of course, you guys are working on a new album, and I'm sure there'll be details forthcoming about that at markmcgrath.com. You're the host of Mark McGrath's 120. Heard weekends here on the 90s on 9 on Sirius XM at Mark underscore McGrath. Merry Christmas, Brother Tully. Merry Christmas to all.